This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. From uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hey, murder fam, and welcome back to Serial Killing, a podcast. My name is Alyssa Carroll, and this is Serial Saturday, where every Saturday we go through the life stories of serial killers to see if we might catch a glimpse of why they displayed their famous, vile, and disturbing behaviors. This week's podcast will be on Pierre Chanel. Now, I'm going to say right now that there's a lot of French names in this that I'm quite sure I'm going to butcher, so I'm going to apologize ahead of time. I can already see the comments. Pierre Chanel was born on November 18, 1946 in saint tetev France, so let's get into some history for that time. The Mensa Society was created by Roland Beryl and Lancelot Ware in England. It was created with the intention of providing a safe and nurturing environment, or club really, for some of the most intelligent people all over the world. The only real requirement to join was that you had to have an IQ in the top 2% of the population. It does not have any political or religious connections and is in itself supposed to be a fun group for people of all backgrounds to share in activities and ideas. The first Cannes Film Festival was also held this year. It had been originally scheduled to debut in 1939, but was postponed due to the beginning of World War II. It is held in the French Riviera and is a place for up-and-coming global films to be previewed and judged. It's now pretty much more of a commercial endeavor and a bit less about the prestige. The BBC began broadcasting regular television again this year. It had already been broadcasting, but when World War II broke out, they were stopped. Also in 1946, there was a riot in the infamous prison Alcatraz. A tidal wave hit Hawaii, caused by a 7.4 magnitude undersea earthquake off the coast of Alaska, which wound up killing more than 150 people. Nearly 30 million Chinese citizens were nearly dying from starvation. But on a happier note, 
Dean Martin's musical career had begun, as well as B.B. King's. Bing Crosby was already successful, as was Duke Ellington. Other people born this year were Susan Sarandon, The Ted Bundy, George W. Bush, Cher, Sally Field, Freddie Mercury, Dolly Parton, Steven Spielberg, Sylvester Stallone, and President Trump. So Pierre was the fifth of 16 children, though one died in early childhood. His father, also named Pierre, was said to have been a violent and mean drunk. And with so many children to take care of, his mother was completely overwhelmed. There was apparently some type of shed or very small building in the backyard of his parents' home, and that's where he spent much of his time during his childhood. I also read that sometimes he even just slept on the stairs. Now, it's also said that his family was quite poor, and his education came to an end after elementary school, around 1958. He was then made to go to work in a steel factory to help support his family. Described as a loner, withdrawn, and had no real friends. He was quiet, he kept to himself, and I couldn't even find any evidence that he had any significant others, just nothing. So when he was about 16 years old, Pierre left home and joined the French army. After that, he basically lost contact with his parents. It was stated that the army became his new family. And guys, that was literally all I could find out about his childhood. There just wasn't really much of any information, but I think we can still get a pretty decent picture. We know that Pierre was at least a witness to domestic abuse from his father. We don't know for sure if he himself was a victim, but I think it's safe to assume that he most likely was. According to AmericanFamilyPhysician.org, Domestic violence is an ongoing experience of physical, psychological, and or sexual abuse in the home that is used to establish power and control over another person. Witnessing domestic violence can lead children to develop an array of age-dependent negative effects. Like research in this area has focused on the cognitive, behavioral, and emotional effects of domestic violence. Children who witness violence in the home and children who are abused may display many similar psychological effects. These children are at greater risk for internalized behaviors such as anxiety and depression and for externalized behaviors such as fighting, bullying, lying, or cheating. They also are more disobedient at home and at school and are more likely to have social competence problems, such as poor school performance and difficulty in relationships with others. Children who witness these things display inappropriate attitudes about violence as a means of resolving conflict and indicate a greater willingness to use violence themselves. 
According to the U.S. National Library of Medicine, approximately 18 million people in the United States suffer from some kind of alcohol use disorder. This includes anyone whose drinking causes any kind of harm or distress, though not all of these people are considered to be alcoholics. Often, the effects of their disease are felt most strongly by those closest to the person, namely their children. A child is incredibly susceptible to parental influence and neglect. As a result, growing up with an alcoholic parent can have serious short and long-term effects. Living with an alcoholic father can change a child's day-to-day -day life quite a bit. Their ability to enjoy things also tends to be diminished. Trust issues often arise in the children of alcoholic parents. Then later in life, they can experience a fear of authority, loss of identity, emotional confusion, fear of abandonment, but could also develop a compulsive personality. That's the part to cling to. Socially withdrawn children frequently avoid social activities in the presence of their peers. The lack of social interaction in childhood may result in a variety of things, including social fear and anxiety or a preference for solitude. From early childhood through adolescence, socially withdrawn children are concurrently and predictably at risk for a wide range of negative adjustment outcomes, including anxiety, as we said, low self-esteem, depressive symptoms, and internalizing problems. They can have peer difficulties such as rejection, victimization, and poor friendship quality, and of course have the usual school difficulties. And then lastly, being that he had so many siblings, he could have very well felt he was ignored, and children who feel this way tend to grow resentful of you know, not having enough parental attention. Also, with that many children and Pierre's family being poor, one must think about how competitive it must have been in his house, which causes serious sibling rivalry. Now, we don't have any information about how he got along with his siblings, but him spending most of his time in an outdoor structure on the property certainly makes it seem like he preferred to be away from them. And so guys, while this isn't much, and a lot of it is just speculation, it can at least give us a look into his mindset. Now, Pierre found his footing while in the military and quickly rose through the ranks. People said he was a good soldier and became a decorated military member. In 1977, 31-year-old Pierre was made a sergeant and was stationed in the Valdehon barracks in eastern France. However, a couple of incidences occurred that would change things for him. During a training exercise, for whatever reason, Pierre fired live bullets over the heads of some terrified soldiers and he was reprimanded. 
This was on top of being accused of sexually harassing a soldier. So he was transferred to Mormalon, which was further north. After his transfer, there doesn't seem to be any more disciplinary action taken against him. He continued to work hard and was then promoted to Sergeant Major, which gave him the authority to oversee any and all disciplinary matters on the base. He took his career very seriously. It was stated in pretty much every source that he took it so seriously, and all of the other soldiers around him all agreed very, very seriously. And he also kept himself in incredible shape. It was said that he ran about 9 miles or around 15 kilometers a day. He loved to go skydiving and was trained in hand-to-hand -hand combat. Starting in January of 1980, men began to disappear while hitchhiking on leave in what is known as the, quote, Mormalon Triangle, unquote. Out of at least eight men that disappeared over the course of 10 years, six were military men and four of those were direct reports to Pierre. Five of them disappeared in the first two years. When families began to question what had happened to their loved ones, often the military would state that these men were deserters. 19-year-old Patrick Dubois disappeared in January of 1980. He had sent his parents a letter stating he was going to go see a movie with a fellow soldier. He has never reappeared and his body never found. He was labeled as a deserter. In February 1981, 20-year-old Serge Have, another soldier, went missing after hitchhiking, trying to go visit his family. He too was labeled a deserter and has never been found. Five months later, 19-year-old Manuel Carvalho disappeared while on leave, hitchhiking, and then labeled a deserter and was never found. Not even two months after that, in August of 1981, Pascal Sargent, a soldier, disappeared while on leave, hitchhiking of course, and then labeled a deserter and was never found. In October 1982, a little over a year later, 20-year-old Olivier Donnier disappeared while on leave, hitchhiking, and they were in the process of labeling him as a deserter. But then, on Halloween, his body was found in a ditch by a hunter in the area. Though I roughly tried to translate this from French, it appears that his body had been concealed in some manner, his head and neck had been ravaged by the local wildlife. It was at this point that there began talk of a possible serial killer on the loose. And then there were no more disappearances from the end of 1982 until August 1985. In January of 1985, Pierre was deployed to the Middle Eastern country of Lebanon and fought over there until May of 85. 
This, of course, earned him a United Nations Medal for his service as a, quote, UN peacekeeper, unquote. His superiors described his behavior as exemplary. And something important to note, there were no reports of missing men during the five-month period that he was deployed. But in August of 1985, 20-year-old Patrice Denise disappeared. He had been hitchhiking to visit the military base, but he never made it to his destination. His body never found. So now it could not be blamed on soldiers who were just running away from the military. Five days after Patrice's disappearance, a judicial investigation was opened and Pierre was questioned about the disappearance of a number of these men from his battalion. But then again, it was said that thousands of troops from the garrison had been questioned and nothing had surfaced that would help in the discovery of these missing and one murdered young man. Then in 1986, Pierre was moved to yet another base, but still visited Mormelon every week to take part in his love for skydiving with his parachute club. April of the next year, 19-year-old Patrick Gosh disappeared while hitchhiking during a military leave. A preliminary investigation into this now seventh disappearance began. Then the eighth and possible final victim was murdered on August 8, 1987. 19-year-old Trevor O'Keefe from Ireland was hitchhiking through France. His body was found in a shallow grave in some woods and the autopsy showed he had been strangled with a cord, a garrote. Five days later, a judicial investigation case was opened but then things were quiet again for a year. In August of 1988, policemen spotted a Volkswagen Type 2 microbus parked on a dead-end street where some road construction was going on, and it was said that the officers figured the vehicle belonged to some, you know, environmentalists who were against the construction that was going on there. Nevertheless, they decided to drive over and investigate. Inside the vehicle was 42-year-old Pierre, and they asked for his identification and papers. He explained to the officers that he was in the military and he was just taking advantage of some time off to do some touring. They then realized that he had been stationed in Mormelon from 1977 through 1986, timing perfectly with the Mormelon disappearances. The other officer was walking around the vehicle when he saw a man's head kind of pop out from under a blanket through the back window. 20-year-old Hungarian traveler Palac Falve was found bound and on a crude bed and immediately freed. He told the officers that he had been hitchhiking the night before when Pierre picked him up. He was then overpowered, bound, chained, repeatedly raped while Pierre told him constantly that he was going to kill him. 
Pierre was arrested right then and there, and when questioned, he told the authorities that it had, you know, all been consensual. His van was searched, and they found many sex toys and a video camera inside. Footage of the multiple rapes had been captured, and when Pierre was confronted with this, he basically immediately stopped cooperating. Quote, to stop himself answering questions, he banged his head on the desk, smashed his fist into the metal cupboard, lay on the floor completely rigid with his jaw locked shut, unquote. He was questioned about the triangle of death, and again, he only gave his rank and serial number. In 1990, he was sentenced to 10 years in prison for the kidnapping and rape of Palach. It was reported that he never spoke a word during his trial or after. Now, while in prison, he was kept in solitary for his own safety. He spent his time watching TV, reading, and exercising strenuously, and sometimes he just sat and literally stared at the walls of his cell for hours. In 1995, after five years, he was released early due to being a model prisoner. Five years, guys. Now, people were in complete shock, of course. He went to go live with one of his sisters who said that he was living in constant fear and complete hell that he would be recognized. Side note, boo-hoo. Now, while he had been in prison, the investigation into the other murders had simply stopped. After O'Keefe's mother filed a complaint, though, a new judge was assigned and the case gained some steam again. Forensics were done on this kind of crude foam mattress taken out of Pierre's van. They found hairs and the DNA were matched to three of the victims whose bodies had been found. He was arrested again, charged with eight murders, and this time... He was arrested again. He was charged with eight murders, though it was reduced to just the three that they had evidence on. He repeatedly promised that if he was found guilty, he would commit suicide. The day before his trial was to begin in 2003, Pierre was found slumped and unconscious. Reports suggested that he had taken a large dose of barbiturates, but he survived. He then went on a hunger strike and had to be given a feeding tube, but he survived. Then, before the trial was over, he somehow smuggled a razor blade from a disposable razor into the hospital where he was still recovering. He cut through his femoral artery in his left thigh and bled out. Justice would never be served and the families, no closure. The families were, however, awarded 36,000 euros each in 2005. 
So, a psychological profile stated he was unable to achieve sexual satisfaction without being able to completely overpower an unwilling participant. His need was to humiliate his victims, then strangle them as he was, well, finishing. It's said that he felt sadness and shame, but never, never guilt. This case gives me Andre Chikatilo vibes kind of to a degree. Andre, too, was unable to experience normal sexual pleasure and had to resort to violence. It was through physical violence and overpowering someone that he could experience true physical pleasure. I've seen Andre labeled as having borderline personality disorder, but I'm not convinced that Pierre would have fallen under that category. Where Andre's emotions were erratic and unpredictable, Pierre was able to control his actions completely. Andre had no pattern in his choice of victims, where Pierre always took male victims who were around 20 years old. So guys, tell me, what do you think about this? Hit the like and subscribe buttons if you're on YouTube, and consider sponsoring my podcast through my Patreon if you like my content, and as always, Thank you so much for listening. You could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me, and I truly appreciate that. Have a great day.